is the dilly yo what's the dilly sorry that um it took me a little bit it's something wrong with my internet is just the worst and you guys are probably getting buffing right now hopefully you're not i haven't even got a notification to see if i was even live but i'm pretty sure you guys haven't either so hopefully it's working i don't that's the wrong one. Hopefully it's working. Um, so what's going on? It is Wednesday. Um, Wednesday, December 5th. It's a gloomy day in California. Very gloomy, maybe, because the 41st president um, uh, funeral has been kind of engulfed um, by media, everything that's been going on has been because of um, that. That's all you see on the news today. So I want to get into a couple of things today. First, like I told you guys on Monday that I wanted to, um, and like I said earlier, if it's buffing, it's something wrong with my internet. So hopefully it doesn't continue like this. I rerouted and rebooted my um my router like three times so hopefully uh, it doesn't interfere with anything because i got all this stuff set up but anyway um what i want to get into first is the second part of jordan's interview with nick brana he's the founder of um people's uh campaign or something like that what is he he is the just show you who he is right quick so I'm just i'm saying his name but Tell you exactly his title and his organization. Jordan. And uh, yeah, I got six people, so probably for the most part, it's this thing is just acting crazy. And can't, it's probably really just that shitty. But anyway, I'm going to continue to go. So um, the second part of the interview, I want you guys to, to see it. Uh, he is um, talking to Nick Brenner, which is he's the founder of Movement for People's Party. And earlier uh, this week on Monday, I showed you guys the first interview. I want to get into the second interview before I actually get into the topics that I want to talk about today. One, uh, one of the things that I want to talk about is... Um, Republicans and I guess all everything that I talk about today just kind of embodies hypocrisy and their party. You know what? Interesting enough, it's weird because I guess I can say their party because a lot of things that I'm going to talk about has historical context. So at one point, the Republican Party was for reconstruction and things like that. But the reason that the dynamics change between the Democrats and the Republicans is because those same Democrats that were Southerners and part of the Confederacy just moved to the Democratic Party uh, throughout the um, 50s and 60s and, and in the 70s kind of solidified it after LBJ got into um, when he first made his first campaign. So but I just want to talk about the hypocrisy of uh, the Democratic Party. I mean, the Republican Party, you know, how they talk about voter registration fraud and how uh, we're finding out now that um, 
the the house race in uh, North Carolina had a lot of fraud in it. And then also you starting to see now because uh, Michigan and uh, Wisconsin, uh, the govern uh, the gubernatorial races were won by Democrats. Now the people in office want to uh, change the law so that the governors won't have a lot of power. And they've kind of been very honest about we just don't want those liberal views in our city, which is kind of absurd that you can get a small group of people that seemingly talking for an entire state. And I'm sure without um, talking to you know any of their constituents. But like I said, we're going to start off with this interview. We get this interview off and then we will go from there. Well, one thing that I see, and I, I want to bring it up into what you guys are doing i see that especially with general motors this week i mean what what do you call this general motors gets i think they made off with like 22 billion dollars after it was all said and done with the bailout and then you know stock you know ceo bonuses and all that uh that we i mean before these job losses the taxpayer lost billions of dollars on this and then they're laying off all these people saying we want to do, uh, you know, more automated cars and and electric cars. What a novel concept. Maybe train these workers to do that because the cars aren't going to make themselves. But it's all, you know, investors are very happy because they just look at the dead carcass of the middle class as an opportunity for them. So I wanted to ask you, um, it seems like between the Richard Ojeda types in West Virginia, uh, obviously, the people that voted for Donald Trump and seeing these layoffs and the plants aren't coming back might be opening up to, well, maybe this man isn't exactly a populist savior. Um, it seems like there could be a, a resurgence of labor if, if the right messaging and the right wrong. And I know MPP is doing that. Uh, you, you guys have gotten galvanized and kind of synergized with a lot of labor leaders to try and basically create this new party. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing that we've taken on number one and, with the, and that we've found uh, most successful and it was our highest priorities that we believe that building a major new party is going to be a collaboration between labor uh, and between social movements and the progressive movement. And it's that kind of collaboration that, that we're building right now with a campaign called the Labor Community Campaign. And that's a dozen progressive organizations across the country and also uh, more than 700 uh, labor leaders and activists who've come together into this coalition and have said that the time is is now the time that we need to start laying the groundwork for a major new labor-based party. The United States is actually internationally unique among Western countries of, of not having a labor-based party. You know, the Democratic Party has long since traded its, uh, its, its New Deal alliance with labor for a, a partnership with corporations. And so what we're aiming to do is really unprecedented, and it is bringing together, uh, it, it hasn't been done uh, ever since the, since the 30s, really, in, in bringing together social movements and labor uh, for a major new party. And we have some incredible support for that. Uh, we have, uh, on the progressive side, we have Chris Hedges, who's come out as an endorser, uh, Cornell West as well, Jimmy Dore. You know, would love to have your support, Jordan. Uh, Abby Martin just uh, endorsed us as well and covered us uh, recently on her podcast. Um, and on, on the labor side, really exciting, we have uh, former uh, members of the AFL-CIO Executive Council, current members as well, uh, Baldemar Velasquez, 
um, who is also the head of the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, 23,000 member Latino uh, union in the Midwest in North Carolina, which endorsed us just a couple of weeks ago. We're very excited about that. Um, and on top of that, other labor leaders like Nancy Wolforth, the head of Pride at Work, uh, former AFL-CIO executive council member as well, uh, Al uh, Rojas, who's a co-founder of United Farm Workers of America, uh, and Donna DeWitt, who's the uh, former head of the AFL-CIO in South Carolina, the state president. So, it, so there's some really, really uh, prominent labor figures who are getting behind the call for a major new party. Um, and and we're, we're really glad to be making this unprecedented progress because we think that, you know, it's a sign of the times. It's a reflection of the fact that just like labor is getting more active in the teacher strikes and, and in, in the Marriott strike, for example, becoming you know, less willing to accept the status quo delivered by the Democrats and Republicans, you know, and that's translating into a recognition uh, of the need for a major new, genuinely progressive labor-based party. So uh, with the caveat, this isn't a duck, but this is just how, this is how I was in 2016 and how I am now. I, I don't generally endorse candidates or things just because like people know what I believe. I'm, pro- I'm progressive, but I can't really cover things fairly if I'm, if I'm you know, um, basically boostering for them, too. However, with that said, here's where I stand and I'd like your thoughts. I think whether it's taking over the Democratic Party or whether it's a, a new uh, labor based party, which I actually think is a great idea. I think it, neither one matters if we don't address the issue of the media. Because to me, and I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as, as a t- Bernie, ve- Bernie veteran, I mean, I, I'm no longer with the Young Turks. So when I'm not traveling, I, I'm home. And, I'm, you know, basically there's no progressive all-day channel on, so I have no choice but MSNBC and CNN just to see what's going on or, or what they're not covering. And what I see is at the end of the day, if there aren't a protest movements as much outside city halls and state legislatures and this and that, outside CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, to actually, I mean, these folks are actually accomplices to what's going on. I mean, we can't sugarcoat it anymore to say, oh, they're just out of touch, this and that. No, they're knowingly, knowingly doing public relations and stenography for their corporate parents. So I'd love to know what you think, because to me, Green Party is not going to get any attention in this current media uh, climate. MPP is going to get, you know, uh, grassroots attention from independent media and this and that. But you're going to be minimized as, you know, communists or whatever by the corporate media. So my point going into 2020, but bigger picture, uh, what do you do about that? Because that to me is really the crux of it. If you have a media elite that the majority consider to be paper of record and the standard burr for news, it's, it's kind of a brainwashing of the populace. It is. Uh, but at the same time, uh, their power has greatly eroded, you know, thanks to the Internet, as you know, you know, thanks to we're, we're able to broadcast now, you know, uh, people can watch us, will be watching us uh, as a result of the fact that we have new technologies that have literally eroded their power to concentrate, you know, uh, power and to act as gatekeepers. Uh, the Bernie campaign was entirely a product of the Internet. A uh, couple of things I wanted to talk about. Like I said, the video initially that I had going on when the live stream was buffering, um, I'll post that on the website later and you guys can see it. 
I don't want to have to have you guys watch that over. It was an interview between uh, Nick Brenna and um, uh, Jordan Cheriton. Nick Brenna is the uh, founder of the movement for a People's Party. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he interviewed with Jordan last week, and so what I'm trying to do is just pace it out every time I go live. Um, you know, show 15 minutes. It's about 45 minute video, so I show 15 on Monday. Initially, was trying to show 15 today and another 15 tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, that's my intention. So, now, I, I, I want to bring up how funny it is. Like, just, it, I don't even want to say it's surprising. It's not surprising. Uh, the hypocrisy in the Republican Party is amazing. It's amazing to actually witness. You know, um, you, you think about you, them, you, they, they will call, they'll call uh, liberals or, 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 or people that's to the left, they'll say, oh, they're, they're snowflakes, they're whining, they're crying. But look at them now. You got, you got uh, the legislation in, 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 in Wisconsin and Nebraska, uh, the Republican, I think they have the Republican majority right now. They're trying to hurry up and change uh, certain laws so that um, the governor won't have as much power as it's been able to have in the past. You know, you think about Rick Scott and, and in Wisconsin and, and everything he did and all the power he had and, and everything that he was able to do. Now they know that they lost the gubernatorial race. They're trying to hurry up and change these laws and pass these laws so the, govern, the governor won't have as, as much um, uh, leverage and, and as much you know, power to, to do certain things. And I think one of the things in, in Wisconsin is uh, he wanted to overturn some of the blocks that they put in for the Obamacare. And, you know, you look at throughout the nation, um, think about how, how many times have we heard uh, uh, Donald Trump talking about, oh, there's voter fraud, voter fraud, you know, what the Democrats are doing. We need to watch these. And the only voter fraud, and this, is, this gives you kind of an understanding and, and, and it, it, it gives you a clear kind of picture of what could happen if there are actual voter fraud. We are, uh, today's the fourth. We, we're almost, we're two days from a month. We could say we're a month out of the midterms, right? A month out. And there was, there were voter, I don't know if you guys read it, but in North Carolina, there was some voter fraud and it was found out within a month. They found out. So if there were a widespread of voter fraud, we would be able to find out, you know, the government would be able to figure that out. It would come up. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you, you look at what, what happened, and that's what I'm going to talk about right now, what happened in North Carolina, and within a month, they were able to find out that there were voter fraud, were able to actually talk to uh, a couple people um, uh, that was actually involved in it, not, not involved in it as, 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 as far as initiating it, but um, as far as being a victim of it. Uh, so I wanna, I'm going to show you guys this video uh, that, that I have on it. And then I, I want to read this article uh, from CNN Politics on um, the man at the center of the North Carolina election fraud probe turned in hundreds of absentee ballots requests. So that's what uh, generally what I mean. Hmm, I'm not sure. She's a special one. So that's 
um, I don't even want to say her name because she's going to say something, but it's my speaker thing. So anyway, um, so essentially what he did is he went to different homes that were uh, that different people that were wasn't on the um, voter registration. And then he sent he they, they got a group of people walking around getting these people and have them signing these absentee ballots. And then they would put the person that they were going to vote for on them. They did it themselves. They wouldn't have the person. They'll just have the person sign their name. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing uh, what they did. But I want to uh, show you show you guys this video and then we can. Um, well, I'll, I'll read the article. So it says uh, the man, the man in the center of an election fraud investigation in North Carolina con congressional race turned in nearly half of the request for absentee ballots in a single county. Records released Tuesday by the state's election board shows. Leslie McCraw, Dulles, a veteran, a veteran political operative in Bladen County, who was convicted of insurance fraud in 1992, was connected to the questionable absentee ballot activity in, other, in another election is at the center of this probe in an unusual activity in this county. So this is this it this actually kind of mirrors what they're talking about on the video. So I'll just go to the video and then we can um, you guys can tell me how you feel from there. So let me grab this video and then you'll be able to see what's going on. So like I said before, I had all this stuff queued, but then my internet stopped, wasn't working, so I had to use uh, the live view. The live view is kind of the thing that we use when we're on the road. And um, yeah, I'm gonna have to turn everything around so you guys can see the video, so. Yep. Where is oh shoot? Sorry, you guys, I just took this thing off because I'm a special breed of person. This is where the actual video is on. So don't worry about it. This is, seems like it's all over the place, but I got it all under control. Don't worry. No worries. Emma Shipman is this story in a nutshell. She had no intention of voting until a woman showed up at her door. But do you remember requesting an absentee ballot? <clears throat> so you don't know how that absentee ballot showed up? I don't. I really don't. 
Shipman is now at the center of a vote fraud investigation in Bladen County, North Carolina. She's one of several voters coming forward to talk about a group of people showing up at doorsteps, offering to help fill out absentee ballots, and taking the ballots away with no idea what happened. And no, Emma Shipman doesn't even know who she voted for. No, but when you picked, when, when the names were picked, you want this guy or that guy, this gal or that guy, was that you picking them? So you don't know what happened with your vote, no, nor your ballot. No, no, no. I don't know what happened. It turns out Shipman was targeted by a small group of loosely connected people, most with some criminal records, and all tied together by a Republican operative in this rural county, a convicted felon, convicted of insurance fraud, who was also connected to questionable absentee ballot activity in another election, McCray Dallas. I'm McCray Dallas. This is Drew Griffin with CNN, trying to call you on every phone I can find for you. Dallas appears to be in hiding. He worked for the campaign of Republican congressional candidate Mark Harris, who won by just 905 votes. Harris's campaign admits the State Board of Elections is asking for documents for its investigation and emphasized that if McCray Dallas broke the law, the campaign was not aware of any illegal conduct in connection with the 9th District race. The campaign intends to cooperate fully with the investigation. As for the McCray-Dallas operation, here is what Democrats allege. Dallas's ex-wife, relatives, and friends fanned out across Bladen County, registering people to vote, requesting absentee ballots for them. Then, later signed the ballots themselves as witnesses, a handful of people signing more than 100 ballots. She seemed local because uh, she left, left me a sandwich from a local sandwich shop. Lacey Allison also wasn't planning to vote until a woman showed up with an application. So you filled out an application for an absentee ballot? No. She filled it out and she said she was going to bring it back for me to sign and I never saw her again. Allison, turns out, had the woman's number. She's the daughter of one of McCray Dallas's ex-wives, Lisa Britt, who has signed 42 of the suspected ballots. Hi, Lisa. Uh-huh. This is Drew Griffin with CNN. I'm recording this call. I want to ask you about these absentee ballots. Can you tell us what's going on here? Uh, I have no comment, baby. Thank you. Another woman, Ginger Eason, who signed 30 ballots, told CNN affiliate WSOC that Dallas paid her between $75 and $100 to harvest ballots, and she handed them in to Dallas. Oh, like I said, I don't know nothing what happened after I dropped them off. Look. So you don't know of certainty whether they were sent no. to the elections office? No, I don't. Besides the multiple witness signatures, there are also... That's enough. Y'all kind of get the point of it, right? So, can you see me? Yeah. Can you see me? Can you see me? So now, this is this is the Republican Party who calls everyone else snowflakes. This is the same Republican Party that blocked for 18 months. Obama Supreme Court Justice. 
I was watching a documentary the other day um, on Monica Lewinsky, uh, the uh, Clinton um, uh, scandal, everything that happened. You guys, if you guys haven't watched it, you should watch it. It's on A and E. It's an amazing documentary, actually. But one of the uh, guys on there that they were interviewing said, made a statement, and it's great because there were there were um, a lot of people. You know how people talk about like a deep state kind of. I guess in this sense, it was kind of a deep, it was these group of lawyers called the elves. That's what they were called. And they were funding um, lawyers uh, to find things against um, Bill Clinton because they didn't want him in office. And one of those lawyers happened to be uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And I, I don't know if you guys remember Brett Kavanaugh's um, hearing when he said this is payback for the Clintons and he initially I was like what is he talking about Clintons that just seemed so random in my head I'm like Clintons ain't got nothing to, what and so what happened he was a part of these lawyers who was funding uh, uh this group of people who brought uh Paula I think it was Paula Jean that the girl that said that he tried to sex he sexually harassed her and and trying to find things out to get him out of office, which eventually got him impeached right so this is that Republican Party. And one of the guys said uh, during during that um, uh, documentary, which I thought was very telling, he said when when Democrats lose, they get sad. When Republicans lose, they get mad. And, and you see and they just go after and they they're the most devious group of people. And, and it, 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 it's not a wonder like why Congress can't get things done and, and, and um, why they can't get things done in Congress. I mean, you look how many things that they block with Obama just because he was black for the most part. You know what I mean? I mean, he had to push Obamacare through. He had to just, just use his majority before he lost uh, the House and the Senate in 2010 to just push it through because he knew they wasn't going to get it done. And then obviously you saw after that everything the majority of everything else had to be uh an executive order which is you know starting to be overturned by 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 donald trump so it, it's amazing that we're the crybaby crybabies but soon as something doesn't go wrong i hate i don't want to say we because I, I honestly feel like the democratic party is just another wing of the republican party i think they all have the same same intentions really for the most part, but it's it's amazing to, to for them to to cry the way that they cry, and now you see all these things going on with this guy um, uh, who who CNN brought up um, about what's going on in Virginia with with him with them actually you know committing voter fraud when they claim that California and every other state that leans blue is committing that and you kind of see and then you see what's going on in um wisconsin and michigan i want to see if i can find this article right quick um about michigan and wisconsin i was reading it earlier hopefully i didn't lose it shoot i think i did while i was getting everything together let me find it right quick wisconsin Wisconsin, Michigan Republicans. Okay, there you go. 
seeing Republicans trying to Wisconsin. This is CNN uh, politics. Wisconsin and Michigan Republicans try to undermine Democratic election wins. Republicans in Wisconsin and Michigan were whipped out of their seats, top uh, whipped out of their state top offices in November. But before Democrats can take their can take their places next year, the GOP lawmakers in both states are moving to strip the incoming leaders with of key powers. Jeez. Let's see. Most of the attention was centered on Wisconsin's was centered on Wisconsin, where Republicans are in the midst of an extraordinary session designed to effectively prevent Democrat governor-elect Tony Evers and incoming Attorney General Josh Call from delivering on their campaign promises. Wisconsin Republican-led Assembly and Senate passed two of the measures they are considering. Brett Kudabak, spokesman for the governor-elect, told CNN Wednesday, both bills will go will now go to the governor to Governor Scott Walker from for his consideration. So obviously Scott Walker is going to sign him in. Excuse me. One of the bills would require permission from the state legislator before the state executive branch could make waivers or changes to public assistance programs, including work and drug testing requirements for blood for um, able bodied adults. And the lame duck governor signed those bills, those bills and others still under debate. The state could reduce its number of early voting days, restrict gubernatorial appointees to powerful economic agencies and require legislative backing for certain decisions. Uh, traditionally, OK, and economic agencies and require legislative backing for certain decisions traditionally made by the attorney general and governor, a move that would likely block call from withdrawing the state from a federal lawsuit against Obama. So they have a lawsuit against Obama trying to block certain amenities that come with Obamacare. And this is what's going on in Wisconsin and in, in Michigan, which is, you know, amazing. And I don't, I don't want to dig too deep into it, but I just want you guys to see like the, hypocrisy of the Republican Party. And we're, we're kind of going to go 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 further in, into um, what is now the Republican Party. Back in the day, um, for the most part, I'm talking about like the 19th century and everything. The Republican Party, the disposition, today's disposition of the Republican Party reflects the disposition of the Democratic Party um, during the 19th century. And I want, I was, so I, I know I, t I kind of tell you guys sometimes that I mention it sometimes that I watch, uh, CNN, both CNN and Fox, because I think that you just need to, I, I don't think that you should always fill your mind with just people that you agree with. Um, you should also fill your mind with people you don't agree with. You know what I mean? Because if I'm preaching to the pro to the choir, like, what's changing you guys agree with probably you know 70 percent of, of the things i say like who am i convincing you know what am i actually doing if i'm if i'm not trying to um provoke 
you know, uh, uh, are, 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 you know, convince, you know, people that, that don't kind of see things my way or at least open to, to hear. So I always want to hear both sides of what, um, you know, what we consider liberal news versus conservative news. And let me tell you, boy, sometimes watching CNN, I mean, watching Fox is, you could, it, it's, it's almost unbearable, uh, to say the least. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, do they honestly believe exact what they're saying right now? But, um, there was, uh, a segment, um, last night uh yeah there was a segment last night that i was watching and they were talking about um i guess the university of north carolina proposed to keep uh the silent sam it's it's a it's another confederate uh statue um the students there tore it down and they're trying to figure out what they want to do with the statue uh if they want to either um, you know, take it down or put it in some type of museum or some type of building. So it could still be there to show the historical context, but not, you know, ultimately be destroyed. And so she had, um, a student from, uh, UNC opposing it and for, you know, taking, uh, the Confederacy down. And the conversation I just thought obviously was one-sided. Uh, but it was, it was amazing. And I kind of want to just talk about that because it, it provoked me to just start looking at all these, uh, looking up this, this historical context and, and, and things. So, uh, I want you guys to check that out and then, um, we, uh, we can talk from there. So let me see, do I have it? Laura Ingram was, it was her show. So we'll watch some of that. It's, it's, a, it's a bit long. So we'll just watch some of it and then we can kind of talk about it. So hurry up and turn this around. The transition to be too long. Now, back in August, protesters at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill took it upon themselves to rip down a Confederate statue. Well, it was the Silent Sam statue, and it honored UNC students who had fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. Over the last few years, the statue has been labeled a celebration of white supremacy by some and as a piece of history by others. Well, yesterday, the university board announced a plan to house the statue in a new $5 million history and education center on the edge of campus, where it would be properly contextualized. But even as she announced the plan, Chancellor Carol Fult was clearly not entirely on board. I have a preference to move it off campus, but like everyone here, I swore to obey the law. And sometimes you don't agree with laws, but I don't have the privilege of choosing which laws I agree with and which ones I do not. Mm, how brave. Well, a 2015 North Carolina law forbids agencies from permanently removing and relocating state-owned memorials or statues. And North Carolina likely passed the law to protect against what it saw happening across the country. 
What's been happening? Well, nationally, since 2015, more than 100 Confederate monuments and statues have been removed. Well, students, protesters, and faculty members at UNC want the same fate to befall Silent Sam. The North Carolina law be damned. Forget about it. They took to the campus Monday night to protest the plan to house the statue in a new building. UNC is not concerned about preserving history. It is concerned about not upsetting its racist donors and the Board of Trustees in California. I am disappointed to be associated with an institution that continuously seeks to protect and glorify the white supremacists who love to hate us. To enable white supremacy is to perpetuate white supremacy, and that is exactly what the Board of Trustees and Carol Fult are doing right now. It's funny how they're reading it off their phones. Well, who needs paper? But that history were so and that cut and dried. There's a movement, particularly among the young, to hate the past and eradicate anything they find objectionable or troubling. And look, every country, all history, has its bad side that has its good sides. Good stuff, bad stuff. But this recalls the kind of destructive mindset of, let's say, ISIS. Think about ISIS, what they did. They pillaged and they wiped away irreplaceable historical and religious monuments from Palmyra, remember, in Syria, simply because they could. It was offensive to them. Now, no matter what one thinks of the way this was all treated after the Civil War, whether they should build these monuments or not, this happened, okay? The Confederacy happened. And we owe it to the future to leave history as it existed undisturbed. Continue to debate it. Have conversations about it. But why not allow future generations the opportunity to mark this history, process it, and come to their own conclusions. Put up another statue commemorating the slaves who were abused and killed adjacent to Silent Sam. But to destroy instead of engage, to defy the law instead of respect it, is no way to honor the past or the future or to highlight all the gains America has made. Now, by committing acts of violence to get your own way and defying laws to remove figures that you find offensive, you start to look a little bit like the thing you're protesting. Should you succeed, by the way, in the future, some other mob might well tear down your statue because they themselves find what you did offensive. So where does it all end? And you would have, you know, taught them that, what, it's fine to destroy all trace of whatever we find objectionable in the past. Now let's hope the board of UNC North Carolina's Historical Commission has less destructive tendencies. We can hope. And that's the angle. Joining me now, two students from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Magdalena Horzempa, who's a student supportive of the Silent Sam statue on campus, and Alana Edwards, is the president of the UNC Young Democrats, a group adamantly opposed to the statue's presence anywhere on campus. Now, Alana, it seems that the first step uh, for critics of these statues was to move them out of the public square and into historical buildings. Okay, so that happened, or that was happening, but now that's offensive. So where does this ever end? What 
do you propose be done with this statue? You can't have it in the public, out, out in the public where it always has been. Can't move it to the building, so what now? Well, I think with Silent Sam down, it is time to start contextualizing the past of the monument. And I think one thing I would like to bring up is that when you look at the, when this monument was erected, it was 1913, the height of the Jim Crow era, and the dedication speeches espoused white supremacy. And personally, I'm a proud Southerner, and I had relatives, I mean, ancestors fighting on both sides of the war, and I value the lessons to be learned from the Civil War. But I see this monument as destructive and a symbol of a different era entirely, and not, you know, any actions of UNC students who served during that time, but as the, when it was dedicated in 1913, that era of white supremacy. And so, so I, while there's no clear-cut solution, I do think, um, and state law is very restrictive, I think that it deserves a place off campus where it can be placed within the proper context of which it was erected. So, so let's go to you, Magdalene, on this. What should happen to this statue? There is a law, a state law, passed unanimously, I believe, in the, in the state, one, one chamber of the state house, uh, but then ultimately it was signed into law. That exists. You can't just, you know, remove things never to be seen again. These are state-owned uh, memorials. And it says very clearly, a monument, memorial, or work of art owned by the state may not be removed, relocated, or altered in any way without the approval of the North Carolina Historical Commission. They wanted to, you know, basically stop these things from disappearing in the middle of the night, as we saw in places like in New Orleans, where statues have been removed never to be seen again. So, Magdalena, what happens next? So next, of course, I feel that if these students are going to protest on the north side of campus, they're absolutely going to continue protesting um, the statue being in the new museum and education center on the south side of campus. I feel that only placing the monument on the south side of campus in a building allows UNC administration to ignore the problem that's going on on campus. And that's liberal students feeling that they can run the university and encompass um, try and encompass and overthrow the opinions of the majority and only allow the public to see the vocal minority that's taking place. In my capacity as the chairwoman of UNC College Republicans, I've said before I do not condone any sort of mob rule or anarchist activity on campus. And for these students to feel that it was okay to take this statue down in the very beginning in August, was, that's absolutely not okay. Chancellor Folt let them get away with it. UNC police, Chapel Hill police, and the lack of um, the lack of consequences from events in Durham also made students think that they could get away with something like this, and that's yeah, absolutely Alana, not. Alana, this is when you look at these images. This is this is like mob. This is like mob rule. I mean, you you, you rip something and you say, "Well, I'm offended by it," and we're all supposed to throw you a parade. I mean, welcome to the world. I mean, I, I again, I, I I'm kind of tired of the snowflake line and all the college students are snowflakes but the real world is filled with complicated very difficult dilemmas for everyone you know you might not like I agree, and I think you, you might you might not like the lyrics to a song you hear on the radio doesn't maybe you like the tune but you don't like the lyrics well I, I guess you could say well it offends me that should be banned because it it, 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 it objectifies women as just a piece of you know sexual gratification or something I mean every I mean, pretty much everybody is offended by something. Like, you know what I'm offended by? I'm offended by students who refuse to see that the progress that has been made in the United States of America and, and seem to want to find some type of 
I don't know if it's belonging or relevance in a world where moral relativism actually kind of reigns supreme. But it looks like students are, it, it's kind of like a social gathering almost. Like what can we tear down today or how can we get on YouTube or how can we, you know, and I'm glad you're on with us tonight to try to. I think we kind of get that point. I just want to show you one more thing, small thing, and we can start talking. history but if you do you remember that the rhetoric was a little different if you guys remember that time in in our history when when we um, took down Saddam Hussein and we took down that monument <clears throat> a monument that served or that was a representation of oppression of corruption of a lack of humanity we celebrated that if you guys didn't recognize those were American soldiers on top of the um, erect monument of Saddam Hussein that actually assist in taking it down. And you probably couldn't see it in the frame, but the thing that had actually put it down was a rope connected to a U.S. military tank um, that helped brought, bring the, the uh, statue of Saddam Hussein down to represent freedom hope, liberty, and justice for all. That was um, one of George W. Bush's 
intentions and the reason why he uh, said that he was invading Iraq, which was probably not true. I think it was oil and he was mad that at one point, if you guys didn't know, Saddam tried to assassinate H.W. Bush. You guys can look that up, but we celebrated that. We talked about that. Look at, look at the liberated people. They're liberated. They feel liberated. You saw that. It was almost uh, as much of a celebration for us as it was for them. Taking down something that represented oppression. But somehow, Laura Ingram, and you know, I understand why, and I, I, I don't want to exhaust myself by being turned off because I feel like I'm about to argue a point and I'm sure she knows. Right? Some people just want to say what they want to say and obviously they know their audience. So they just say what they feel like their audience want to hear. But she, talk, she talked about honoring that, that, um, that having, having Silent Sam or, you know, General Lee or any other um, Confederate monuments was there to honor the past, uh, uh, to, to, you know, to honor. I mean, first off, if, 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 if that's what we did, if we just honored the past, why don't we talk about um, um, Benedict Arnold? I mean, really, we look at him as a traitor and anytime someone references a person that uh, did something wrong or betrayed, you say, you're a Benedict Arnold. That's what they would, that's what they would say. Well, you know, Benedict Arnold helped us win in the Revolutionary War, two major battles before he, before he went and went on the other side. And it was all, you know, based on, you know, him wanting to be George Washington or whatever, not being able to go up in the ranks. But he did a lot of good before he actually did that. So why we're not celebrating that? It's, it, it's, it's parallel to the Confederacy. The Confederacy went against the Union. So they, they uh, um, uh, Davis was the president, right? So they went against the Union. They were actual traitors. I mean, if that's what we're that's what it's about. If that's what we stand for, like, why, why, why are we even celebrating it at all? You know? So, you know, to me, it's, it, 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 it kind of, it kind of, it bothered me, you know, the, the hypocrisy bothers me. You know, anytime a black person try to stand up for something and for for the most part, the thing that we're standing up for is just to be accepted as a human, to have the same inalienable rights that that you professed in, in, in the um, Declaration of Independence. That's it. Historically speaking, that's it. How many times have, have you seen an erect statue of Hitler commemorating uh, because it's history. Come on, that's absurd. And just to say it's it's to commemorate history, it's a it's a complete lie. It's to erase and water down the history. That's what it's that's what it's doing. It wasn't to commemorate and to remember. It was for one 
to try to rewrite the history of the Confederacy and two to let those black people know that you're still like it's like a symbol that we're still here and you're still inferior. Period, point blank. I, t- I kind of wrote something down like, you know, these monuments wasn't wasn't to remember these men, but as an effort to support. I guess it, it was a cult called the, a lost cause. These are the people that um, I guess put up these, you know, got the money together and got these different uh, organizations together uh, to, you know, like the daughters of the Confederacy, things like that to actually fund these monuments being put up. You know, it, that wasn't their intention. Uh, through these monuments, they would, you know, rewrite history. They would, they, they tried to rewrite history. They tried to tell another story. You know, to me, it, it seems like if, 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 if that was the case, if, that, if, if the case was to, 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 to commemorate history, to remember history, why aren't they talking about what happened in the South? Why aren't they, when, when you have these erect soldiers, why, you know, having the reason th- for the Civil War? You know what I mean? Why the South was the South? Why did the South break from the Union? Look, I mean, if you want to give it full context, if that's what we're doing, if we're remembering history, it was to, because it, it wasn't, it was to rewrite, it was to water it down. It was to take away the brutality, take away the death the lynching and, 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 and have this, this sort of nostalgic memory of, of the Confederacy. It, 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 even knowing like what it had, what it, what it did to, to, to black people, what the Confederacy represented, you know, a lot of times, you know, some people may walk past the Confederacy, and they may not, they may not see anything. You know, some people can walk past it. You know, a white person or whoever will walk past it, and they, and they, they, they won't, they won't. You know, it may not bother them. They may look at it. They may sell it, but it won't. It doesn't do what it does to me. When I, when I, when I walk past the a statue, a monument of the Confederacy. I automatically go back in history. I think about the promises never filled. You know, I think about in the 1600s, the laws that were put in place that made it legal for a slave master to kill his slave if he resists arrest or if he ran away. I think back to when they passed laws in the 1600s that made it illegal for a white person to marry a slave or a a black person or a mulatto, what they would call, you know, a person that was mixed. When they passed laws that where, where blacks was not able to go to court or be represented in court or to even file a case if it's, um, if it concerns a white Christian, I go back and think about uh, uh, Bacon's, uh, Bacon's rebellion when at one point it seemed that 
we were going to be able to get out of this rut, you know, during the beginning of the colonies coming when you had a lot of slaves and a lot of uh, endangered servants all kind of living together because, it, you know, before it became an industry slavery, you know, they used to have people used to only be slaves for a certain period of time. And then they would get land like further east away from like the main where, you know, close the coast, the coast of Virginia and stuff. So I, and I think about how that failed, how once the rebellion, once that happened and, and, and once uh, Bacon died, how they then recognized that an uprising was happening between classes, that they started to change these laws to make it where, you know, a black person could never get out of slavery, where their children would then be born into slavery, where they could not be uh, hold a seat in office at all. You know what I mean? I look at I, that. That's 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 what I think about when I when I pass by one of those monuments. I think about I think about um, the revolution. I think about the Revolutionary War when when the 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 Declaration of Independence when it when it said um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their character by their Creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I remember how that didn't include me. I remember how even though it didn't include me, we still fought. And I was still stuck in a rut after 1781. And this is like at the end of the war. I think about going to the Civil War when there were promises of emancipation and how and how that was then dwarfed once uh, um, Abraham Lincoln was shot and we uh, the president was um, Andrew uh, and Andrew Johnson. And even though he was a Republican, he was a southerner and he and, 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 and he agreed with southern rights and he pardoned all the Confederates. Uh, that were supposed to go to trial and allowed them to then continue to govern their own states and and they were able to wreck and undermine reconstruction. I remember how then there were there were Jim Crow laws that was put into place that allowed over 4,000 lynchings over a 70 year period, 4,000 lynchings. And there were no no one was held had to go to trial for those. It was just black people who were lynched. When I pass by those, I think about me having to start uh, a black church because I wasn't allowed in white churches, having to start something like the NAACP because we wasn't allowed to uh, go to certain schools. We wasn't allowed to do these certain things, so we had to kind of start our own because we couldn't get into the one that was supposed to be status quo because we were black. When I, when I, when I, when I pass by these statues, I think about Martin Luther King walking in peace and having bottles and bricks being thrown at him and being called an enemy of the state, the enemy of America. And he didn't harm a fly. 
I think about Harriet Tubman, Muhammad Ali having his career stripped from him, threatening to go to jail for three years because he didn't believe in a war that we found in retrospect was actually somewhere we shouldn't have been. And that the, the and that Nixon and LBJ had been had been lying to the country. I think about 20 years later. When four police officers were acquitted after we saw on tape with our own eyes, them beating the hell out of a man named Rodney King. I think about Trayvon Martin going home with Skittles and a nice tea and being shot to death in the middle of the street. That's what I think about. All those thoughts run into my head when I think about those Confederate soldiers in the Confederacy and how far we still have to go in America for people, for black people, for Hispanic people to be liberated, to be just looked at as an American instead of an African American. Because that dash means a lot. That small dash allows me to feel inferior or less than an American. So if some, at some point, if we can actually just be honest or empathetic and truthful, about our history. Uh, Laura Ingram talked about commemorating and honoring the history. Why, why aren't there any monuments of slave ships? Monuments of Harriet Tubman. I mean, she was a part of a huge part of the Civil War. Monuments of the, the, the black soldiers that fought in the Civil War for, for, for rights and ended up having to fight another hundred years before those small rights could somewhat be realized. Or how about just actually teaching our kids the actual history of this country. Because if there's anyone that's erasing history, if there's anyone that's erasing history, it's the daughters of the Confederacy or the cults called the Lost Cause who want to honor and celebrate people who held a certain group of people in captivity 
even during the hypocrisy of the Revolutionary War. Even one, one time during the Revolutionary War, there was a statement that actually started to uh, uh, gain steam and in, in, in what actually um, mobilized the colonies to come together for this. Uh, initially, it was just kind of a, a fight to show, to just try to get some leverage. It, it kind of turned into a Revolutionary War for independence after a while. But there was something that's, that's actually worth mentioning that um, revolutionary rhetoric and redefining slavery. So let me just read this. And this is just talking about the Revolutionary War and, and, and what happened. But it says uh, the widespread ownership of slavery had a significant implications during the battle with Britain during the 1760s and 1770s. American patriots argued that the colony, the, the taxing um, the colonies without their consent. So obviously we know that the queen, the king at the time was kept taxing uh, the colonies and not there was a certain protocol where they would have to go through where they had representatives that actually lived um, on the colony that would then they would go through and there were, you know, there would be kind of this discussion or debate on whether people, you know, people should get more taxes or not. And so what, what the king started doing is bypassing that and just started taxing. So just give you that. So American patriots argued that taxing the colonies without their consent reduced the colonists to the status of slaves. Since individuals in all colonies owned slaves, this rhetoric had enormous emotional um, re um, renaissance uh, throughout the colonies and helped turn the colonists against the mother country. Moreover, once the colonists started protesting against their own enslavement, it was hard to deny the fundamental contradictions that slavery, that slavery established. Enslavement for black people and freedom for white people. Awareness of this contradiction forced white Americans to look at slavery in a new light. If Americans chose to continue to enslave black people, they would have to devise a new argument to justify slavery. It was at this time the arguments about blacks inherent racial um, inferiority emerged to rationalize this institution. So what they're saying is once they saw the contradiction, once it was in their face, they started to use another argument that we enslave black people because they're inferior. They're in, an, an inferior species. So that then became the argument. They, this kind of had two consequences, right? It's amazing to hear about it because this is this is something real. That's this the argument that they use, the argument that they uh, that they argued when they were in. Um, who just gave me five dollars? Somebody just gave me five dollars. That's great. Oh, Paul gave me two. What's up, Paul? Appreciate you pimping. And Michael, five five um, euros. So five euros. What is that like? Seven dollars? Something like that. Appreciate you, player. So um, so. The, 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 that, that rhetoric of slaves being slaves, this was something that actually really uh, permeated throughout 
throughout the colonies that that's what they would use to, <clears throat> to argue the fact when they when the um, the Virginia, the Virginia Congress, I think it was it was called the. Um, I think it was the Virginia, the Virginia Congress, they. Uh, the Virginia delegates, when they were debating whether they, they whether they should, you know, have this revolution or not, that was the rhetoric for the people that wanted to have it. Enslavement in chains. And so this this, this thing kind of had a twofold um, consequence. Uh, one was the pure hypocrisy in that you had these white people talking about being slaves and they're not going to be slaves and they would rather die than be slaves, but at the same time own slaves themselves. And it also then started to, and mainly in the North, because in the North, um, a lot of the white people there, slavery wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a full like, so because of the institution of slavery in the South, agriculture. So they were making a lot of money where it wasn't so much in the North, right? They had, it was some slaves in the North. They still had certain slaves, but they would be used like inside the home and things like that. So it wasn't a real institution in the North that it was in the South, but this hypocrisy, this contradiction was then kind of the driving force that, you know, there were, there were two civil rights acts. One was during the mid, um, mid 1800s, right before the civil war, after the civil war. And then obviously the one that was passed by LBJ. So it did twofold. It made them change their argument because slavery wasn't going to stop because there was a lot of money involved. But then for a lot of people that didn't own slaves, that didn't make all their money during, uh, uh, enslaving people, it had them realizing what they were doing was actually wrong. And, and this attitude is what propelled um, the Republican Party and once the Republican Party was formed, that was kind of their, their push was to end slavery. The abolitionists and all that, that was kind of their push. So it, it, it did two things and one positive, obviously, and one more negative. But, you know, If we ever want to get over race in this country, we have to start talking about it. If we ever want to get over racism, we have to acknowledge our history. And I mean the real history, true history, the people's history. Because that's the only way. You can't gaslight me. Black people have been gaslit for thousands of years. You can't just not acknowledge what happened like it didn't happen and want to move on and not hold on to stuff. That's the normal. When, you, when someone brings up slavery, why are you holding on to that? It's a, but you want to hold on to the Confederacy. That's what we want to hold on to the Confederacy, right? You want to hold on to the Confederacy. Why? Because you roman, romanticized it. You watered it down. But until we have these discussions, until we can honestly talk about our history and reconcile, we're going to continue to have these. Because no one knows. You, gotta, you have a generation of kids that don't even really know what happened in our history. They have some teachers 
uh, the school district, uh, I forgot what county in Texas, but arguing to, to put in that they, they, they called, they, 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 they shipped black workers to America to work as crops, as crop holders or crop share workers or something like that. It, it, it's absurd because they want to water it down. But we can talk about any other country that's enslaved their people that's caused genocides. And we'll put them right out. We'll tear down a, 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 a statue of Saddam Hussein and celebrate it and, and call it uh, might and call a president looking presidential. And we can do all that. But when it comes to our past, get over it. Look at what we gave you. You know, so, um, yeah, I will be back Friday with some mo and some mo. So you guys enjoy, appreciate you tuning in with me. You guys staying on point with me. Um, sorry that, uh, I was trying to follow along, but I kind of got caught up in my emotions a little bit. But I appreciate you guys, and I will talk to you later. Peace.